Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter by the qualities that are most important to you. Then book free 15-minute consultations with any therapist you're interested in seeing. And because 95% of therapists at Alma accept insurance, you can find care that's affordable to You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash therapy30. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit hyundaiusa.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We've got our take cannons loaded and ready. Ready. Absolutely dominant on deep routes. Absolutely dominant on short the routes. Boys are back. Excellent baby. separation against man coverage. This is reception, reception, the show. What's going on, everybody? It's not James Coe. It's Matt Harmon here with reception, perception, the show. No James. He's going to be out this week, uh, dealing with you know some real life stuff. It happens, but. That means I've got the second chair open here, and I get to bring on one of my favorite people in the industry, one of you know my longtime buddies, somebody I respect an absolute ton, and I'm very excited to talk to today. It's Matt Waldman. You know him from the Rookie Scouting Portfolio, from Football Guys. You know him from you know a ton of shows that we've done together over the years. Waldman, what's going on, buddy? Hey, man, nice digs, and I don't mean Stefan. So, you know, this has been, you know, I, I like what you got going on here, and uh, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to, you know, get to chop it up with you. Of course. Um, absolutely insane week six from a variety of different angles, man. Like, right, we get these big-time upsets. We get, you know, injuries and stuff like that. And so I almost kind of regret setting the topic that I did today because it would be great to react to what we just saw. But I actually want to have kind of a big picture conversation with you here um, because I'm sure you get these questions all the time right around this point of the year, right? As we as we get into October, we get close to – we're past the quarter pole, whatever the hell that is now that we have 17 games. We're, we're close to midseason season. What are some like dynasty movers and shakers? You know, what are some younger guys that are starting to jump forward? Some older guys that are maybe taking a step back. I get that question all the time in my discord. So I thought could think of no better person to to help me kind of have a level conversation about this than you Waldman. So we're going to just kind of kick it around here at, at sort of this point of the season six weeks in some guys that were moving up and down and you know me, I, I want to start positive. I want to start on the high end here. So um, give me one wide receiver that is moving up your dynasty ranking so far this season. Brandon Ayuk. It was certainly this summer that I was moving him up anyway, and I had him in my top 15, um, you know, at least in redraft and probably in dynasty as the season before the season even got underway. 
but it you know getting a chance to see it actually on the field once again is just an additional confirmation that he needs to be considered a primary receiver in terms of what you're looking for as a fantasy guy with a you know in 12 team formats he to me he even with you know now that you see Brock Purdy and how he's played last this past Sunday notwithstanding against a really good Cleveland Browns defense um, even then, I mean, you, you see the moments that he's had. He's just so good after the catch. He's become a, a strong route runner. Um, I like what he does at the catch point. I was a little worried after the first couple weeks with the shoulder injury and thinking, is he going to have to keep laying out for these things? He's going to be banged up all, all year. But looks like he's rebounded nicely. And I'm excited about seeing him as really a – a, a solid wide receiver one for a dynasty team to build around. Obviously you're in good company with Brandon Ayuk. Uh, he, he's, <laughs> he's somebody that I have on my list to move up as well. So we're, we're on the same page with this first one here. And it's funny Waldman. Cause like I mentioned, I get, you know, these questions in my discord, right? Like when are you going to update the dynasty rankings? And part of me is like, yo guys, like, it, I mean, I can't be doing this every single week or, or else that's like a betrayal of the format right however i look at my dynasty rankings i'm like i'm still too low on brandon Ayuk, and and i'm i've been high on brandon Ayuk for like the last three years so i've been kind of ahead of the curve on Ayuk. but even my ranking now i think still needs like it needs to go up it needs to be reflecting of what you just said in that he is a true blue nfl wide receiver one at this point i'm curious from your standpoint what's been sort of your evaluation process of Ayuk? prior to this year and what do you think this year he's done as an individual to take that next step in your eyes yeah and first i mean i do dynasty rankings as well and i told everybody in early september i'm doing them the first week of september before um the season starts and you're not going to hear from me until the end of october because i don't want to do all this crazy business of saying christian kirk he's not worth anything because he didn't get target share one week you know that kind of thing so Ayuk, early on, I thought he was a very good slant and double move player out of Arizona State, um, and certainly the after-the-catch stuff was compelling, but I, I didn't see as much from him as a route runner with what I watched to, to be able to conclusively project that he was going to become a primary wide receiver in the league. And, you know, there were certainly people who felt that way, but I felt when I was watching him, it seemed to me it was more rooted in athletic ability than necessarily, um, you know, technical conceptual skills. But as the seasons have progressed and the fact that one, he made it through the uh, obstacle course that is Kyle Shanahan's um, expectations (laughs) for an offense, you know, that's a, that's a glowing thing right there because as someone who was a big Dante Pettis fan in terms of Mm. what he could do as a player, and he basically failed out of that system or Richie James, who basically has been a good backup with, you know, opportunities to perform, but hasn't really quite played to and kind of got sent out of there. Shanahan's one of those guys that's kind of a perfectionist of what he wants, knows exactly how he wants it done. And if I you could get through that, you know, that tells me that, you know, one, he's learned all three positions the way that he needs to. And then it started to manifest on the field. And then when you have a player like Purdy who processes the field 
well and can buy time in the pocket and doesn't seem to be harassed, doesn't seem to um, see his game go on tilt when he takes a hit or gets constant, you know, gets pressure. He can, he can do that a little bit better than Garoppolo. I've, you know, I've seen a player who's doing better on in-breaking routes, who's making adjustments on plays. And then you can see with that, that the timing routes were nice. And so, that's really what extended for me because I felt like I saw a slant player and a double move guy who occasionally got some screens and some crossing routes at Arizona State. And I'm like, that's nice, but there it wasn't enough for me to, to move forward. Now I feel like I'm seeing a more well-rounded route runner who connects well with his quarterback and reads the defense on the same page with his quarterback. It's funny because obviously, like I said, I've been in Ayuk's corner a long time, but I, but not really from the collegiate perspective, um, because I, I agree with a lot of what you said that he was mostly like kind of a wonky route runner and like an off man coverage merchant, like the press man stuff was not really there, uh, in, on his collegiate film. But then you saw him as a rookie and, you know, 83rd percentile success rate versus man 83rd against press as a rookie. And I was like, okay, now I'm in on Brandon. Ayuk based on what he's showing, but even Kyle Shanahan wasn't in on Brandon. Ayuk yet. Like there were still some details that needed to be tweaked out. Like he needed to get better at good zone coverage, reading defenses, as you mentioned. And Shanahan is a, I mean, he's a hard dude to please, right? Like he, he has really high standards, especially from the receiver position, right? Because he used to play receiver. There's a whole background there. So the fact that he did make it through that gauntlet is a credit to Ayuk. It shows that he can work his ass off. It shows that he can really be that type of um, that type of grinder. I actually think Waldman, in a weird way, Ayuk making that jump from like an off man coverage merchant and like again taking that step in the NFL. I could see it leading to some bad evaluations for players going forward. Like, well, well, Brandon Ayuk did it, I and mean, he was a bad route runner in college, and he became. I think one of the 10 best route runners in the NFL right now, it's not going to happen for everybody. Like I've probably said it on the show, like, Oh, maybe Quinton Johnston could do like Brandon. IU sort of jump. And we're recording this just for transparency before Monday night football tonight. So maybe Quinton Johnson had 10 catches for 190 yards, but I tend to doubt it. Um, like I said, I, th- I think that that could, <laughs> that could be a situation where we do too much projecting based on what we saw out of IU. And, and so that's a little bit of like a cautionary tale, but a big credit to him as a player. Yeah, it's you know the the whole idea of what players do in terms of work ethic and and it's not even just work ethic, understanding how to work now that you're a pro and how to apply what it is that you know the practice habits and the learning habits that you need to get better. That's kind of a black box for most people who in media scouting anyway and oftentimes in real scouting like for actual teams not saying media scouting isn't real scouting, but you know, the, yeah, the, it's just one of those things that you don't always know. You can interview these guys to death and ask them questions and they get coached up to give you the right answers that they think you're going to want to hear. But at the end of the day, do they know how to learn? Can they deal with criticism? Can they deal with Kyle Shanahan looking at you with disgust and, and telling you that you stink or whatever it is that he's doing? And can you, you know, figure out the way to work day after day and stay, 
maintain the priority that you need to while juggling things like learning the game plan, still being on the field, doing these things, but they want more from you than what you're actually getting right now. Things that we may not be seeing from, say, Kansas City Chiefs wide receivers who are playing in a West Coast offense. And we'll talk more about that down the line, I'm sure. Um, yeah. I'll be bringing that up. But that's the thing is that, yeah, and then with Quentin Johnston, I, the only thing I'll say about Quentin Johnston is that what I say a lot now is that the biggest issue with Quentin Johnston is that he's like Ricky Bobby during the first interview after his first race where he's doing this and goes, I don't know what to do with my hands because yeah. he's uh, his attack of the football is really the biggest is the lowest hanging fruit for him to change from being a a good prospect to a a a consistent producer. And he's one of those guys that you look at and say, wow, he has got everything you need to be a vertical receiver who can win contested catches, except for the doesn't know how to attack the ball. And that's and the, the, the interesting thing about him is that, yeah, the route running has promise underneath. And you could see where that might be interesting too. But until the team trusts him to actually attack the ball on a, on a level that um, – that can breed, you know, reliable results. His his career trajectory looks more like a aspiring Gabriel Davis, who is a good football player, and it's amazing he can catch the ball the way he does. But the way he does it, it's kind of like he and Cortland Sutton. They clap attack a lot of things. They don't do a great, but at the same time, they're good enough to be in the NFL, good enough to start. But there's a difference between them and say, oh, Keenan Allen. DeAndre Hopkins, um, AJ Brown, guys who, when the ball hits their hands, it never moves. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I don't want to do it like the whole Quentin Johnson thing because, again, he'll be play by the time this gets posted. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, you said, like, until the team trusts him, they better, he better learn, earn that trust fast if they want to go where they want to go this year because they absolutely need him in the wake of the Mike Williams injury. I'll talk uh, one mover here. Um, DJ Moore, I think, is somebody that coming into the year, I was from a dynasty perspective, like, I just wonder if we've seen like the peak of DJ Moore. And I kind of sort of still feel that way. Like, I don't know where you think about him as a player. I think he's probably a very good, not great, certainly not elite number one wide receiver, but I think he is a bona Are we in agreement that he's like a bona fide one? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So we're, we're on the same page there. We view him the same as a player. Um, and so maybe that's just like my answer. He should be in a group like kind of commensurate with those players for, for me and my dynasty rankings, which I think if I'm looking at it right now, he's not, he probably does need to be ticked up a little bit. I think it's still like a lot of hope and wish casting with DJ Moore from a quarterback perspective. Cause I think Justin Fields is right now, if I had to bet, he's not the bears quarterback in 2024, they will probably be breaking in a rookie again. In, in, this year for the Chicago next year for the Chicago Bears but that could still be good in the long run for DJ Moore because one thing I'm definitely kind of like done with I think it got seeped into the fantasy community that like oh if your guy is with the rookie quarterback it, you your number one receiver it's it's not good right and because of some recent prospects but we've seen what CJ Stroud's done for Nico Collins we saw what Anthony Richardson was doing for Michael Pittman before he got injured. Bryce Young, he don't have a damn wide receiver one to work with, although you could he's pumping stats to Adam Thielen, so uh, there is at least that. Um, I think that if Caleb Williams or Drake May or whoever is the quarterback for DJ Moore next year, you know, that could be a, a good thing. And 
he's he's probably a more proven player, I think, than any of those guys that I just mentioned. I'd push back on Pittman because I really like him, but but still, I think the future might be a little brighter for more right now than I had given it credit, you know, five months ago or something. Yeah, more for me was one of those guys that he, in a lot of ways, he was very similar to Brandon Ayuk coming out at Maryland. Yes, he was right. a running back in a you know who had a knack for in breaking routes, and then at Carolina, and I know you're a Carolina fan, so. Watching him, I thought complicated he, relationship. Com, hey, I understand. I, I, I have. I'm a fan of a team that begins with a C that has a very complicated relationship oh, yeah. too. So, but he breaks inside. I thought he was very good on dig routes and getting flat breaks on those types of routes and transitioning downhill. But his ability to win the contested route on the perimeter as a at Maryland was just really rough. Mm-hmm. And now he's actually he. I, I would say competent to good at those types of routes. He's really improved over the course of his time. By I think by year three in Carolina, I thought that he had made strides. And you can see some of that with Chicago. So I'm with you. He's a I think that the assessment you're making is is a good one that he's not he's not an elite wide receiver one, but he's a good wide receiver one where maybe Brandon Ayuk has a chance to continue his growth yeah. plan beyond DJ Moore. He's the guy I'd probably pick ahead of Moore. But if I got stuck quote unquote stuck with DJ Moore as my wide receiver one, I'd be happy. I'd be happy with that or fine with it at least. Yeah. I mean, even right now there's a pretty good gap between Brandon Ayuk and DJ Moore in my dynasty rankings. I actually have Ayuk in a tier higher, but I think Ayuk needs to go up a tier, but I also think DJ Moore needs to go up a tier. Your point about DJ Moore is, is pretty perfect based on reception perception. Like year three was kind of that year for him where He was pretty poor as a route runner in 2018, 52.7% success rate versus man. And he took a nice jump in his second season, almost a 10% jump, which we never really see from year one to year two. And then year three, consistently from then on, he's been over 70% success rate versus man, which is a really, really solid. It's not that elite tier that that we're talking about where I think IU kind of is there as a route runner. Man, I just love love IU so much. Um, But – I think that we could get there with DJ Moore where he's just a solid, steady number one receiver. And like I said, I think that, okay, he can still have some moments with Justin Fields for the rest of this year when Fields is is healthy. But so you're even this year, you're going to, if you trade for him right now, like you're going to get a pretty solid player the rest of this year. And then I just think that he's the type of guy that all the analysis that we had for DJ Moore, Justin Fields this year, where he's going to become Justin Fields' best friend, DJ Moore. Uh, he's going to become the next quarterback's best friend, no doubt about it, and yeah. could be like eight to 10 targets off the bus every single week. Yeah. And I think that hopefully Justin Fields ends up in the town where I'm elevating a player uh, on my list later who maybe doesn't deserve it based on his production right now, but what I've seen with him on the field. Um, I liked him before, but I like him even more now, even though he's struggling due to his quarterback. Okay, give me give me that player because I think I know who you're talking about. Drake London. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, I, I had him as my number two receiver in the draft class. Um, loved his contested catch skills. And, you know, early in the season, I did a study on Desmond Ritter and, and charted a lot of his games in the way that I like to chart things a little above and beyond. And it was very clear that Arthur Smith's offense likes to use static breaking routes, routes that just break back to the quarterback and sit mm. there. And the reason I think they did that is that 
having a receiver break across or between zones may have been confusing for Desmond Ritter to read leverage and have real clarity about where to throw the ball. And while that's that was a nice move on Smith's part to try and introduce Ritter to the game on a level where we could get him going, the problem is is that he was even he would be when things got off structure, he couldn't really make strong decisions and even with some of these routes he had issues reading leverage well or on time or starting with what side of the field to start on based on what the defense was doing. So he struggled a lot. But what's interesting is last week or this past weekend, it looked like they were using Drake Lund a little bit more on routes breaking, at least in a direction where he could run towards the ball and get some yardage after the catch. Slants, different types of routes that maybe allowed him, again, just to catch on the move rather than sit still. And I thought that if they continue to do that, you may see more danger with Drake, you know, with um with um Desmond Ritter in terms of decisions that he might make. Um, but but at least you're getting more chunk yardage and you're seeing more trust throws to Drake London. The catch he had um this weekend where he was parallel with the ground fighting the ball away from um yeah. St. Just was was pretty awesome. And you we've seen a couple of weeks of that. So to me he's like the guy that for my readers and listeners He's what Adam Harstead at Football Guys would call a dented can, a guy that you know people may be down on, but if you can get him at a deal, and you probably can at, at a, a bit, there's a good chance that maybe Justin Fields winds up in Atlanta as a maybe plus version of Marcus Mariota, plus version of Desmond. Now I'm hoping for, for Falcons fans that that's the case. Maybe they just draft somebody. But even if, let's say, they wind up with Fields, um, I think that's an improvement to what they currently have on the roster. And oh. Arthur Smith would, if he can do what he's done with Ryan Tannehill, I think that he could have a very long-term positive impact on fields. And that would help both Pitts and, and, and London dramatically. Yeah. I, a lot of people actually linked your analysis of Desmond or like told me to go check it out uh, prior to the season when talking about Drake London for some of those concerns. And it's weird because Desmond, I think, has the tools, right? Like, I don't think he's like I think he's got a decent arm. I think he can we can move around a little bit. He just is, and I feel like I'm doing this every week where it's like, okay, that was a solid week, and then the next week it's like, geez, God, all right, like can't do this anymore. It's a, the volatility of a player like this in an offense that Atlanta wants to be is really, really difficult. Um, and the thing that, that drives me the most nuts with him, and I think Fields is. Uh, I can't decide if Fields would be a huge upgrade in this regard or or not, but I also think Fields would probably see a lot. He'd have a better vision. He'd see a better picture in um, Arthur Smith's offense that I think is much better designed than what they're doing in Chicago there. Like Desmond doesn't just like drop back, read the play action, like manipulate the defense with his eyes and rip it. Like he just has to rip some of these throws. I think Fields, when he's confident in what he sees, can rip it. So I do think that would be an interesting hypothetical pairing. And frankly, Waldman, like people need to get over the, the zero catch performance in week one for Drake London. Cause if you just look at him from a box score perspective, it hasn't been great, but it hasn't been like a shit show either. You know, it's like it's six catches, 67 and a touch in week two, uh, two, you know, two for 31, whatever. And every wide receiver is going to have a game like that. 
three catches and a touchdown against Jacksonville, six for 78 against Houston. And then last week's is like big game, nine catches for 125 yards. Like it's been fine for Drake London so far this year. Yeah. And I mean, with Ritter, Ritter's that type of guy that when he gets off structure, he doesn't play as nearly as well as Justin Fields does off structure. And so that's a big difference making um, point right there. And then on top of it, I think Fields often knows where to go with his first read in terms of what side of the field to attack in ways that I thought Ritter had some issues with. And I think that if, you know, if you watch squid games and red light, green light, you oh, know, <laughs> if, if leverage were red light, green light, Desmond Ritter would be the first quarterback eliminated from squid games. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> it's just, I mean, I hate to, I hate to put it that way, but even at Cincinnati, when it came to reading like leverage that said, no, don't throw this ball yeah. or yes, throw this ball. It was like he was a little colorblind with with that, you know, and that and that's the problem is that all the physical tools are there, and and maybe the leadership capabilities are there, but the but that inherent thing, reading leverage and being on understanding pre snap, early post snap, what side of the field should I go to? Not what the X's and O's tell you, yeah, but what actually the practicality of the play does because. I had a quarterback coach. Will Hewlett, Hewlett said this to me, and I've, I've contributed some reports for Brock Purdy and Anthony Richardson, who he's coached up before the draft. And he said to me, "Listen, you know, in theory, every play ends in a checkdown. That's just basically for quarterbacks. So if you're going to go by theory, the best theoretical quarterback ever to play in the NFL was Alex Smith because he was great at checkdowns. You, you know, if you want to learn everything you want about checkdowns and reading leverage to a T, Alex Smith is your guy. If you if you want to learn like how to play football and uh, and know what the reality of football is versus theory, you'd have a much better shot with Brett Favre, even if we, you know, even if we look at what goes on off the field, or Patrick Mahomes, who's you know who learned a lot from Smith, but could look at this and go, okay, we're going over here, you know, and you know this is my first read. Ritter doesn't seem to have that, and that's that's what's hurting this offense a lot. That's actually so true with Ritter. It seems like he just wants to play on script so bad when, when like the reality of an NFL Sunday or Thursday or Monday or whatever, sometimes Saturday when they really want to force football down our throats. Um, it's sometimes things go off script and like, you've got to be able to, to live a little, live, live a little more on the edge for God's sakes, Desmond, like just, just let that thing rip at times. The squid game thing is funny. It would probably get us canceled. Uh, and like, we probably, it's probably too dark to do, but yeah, like <laughs> NFL quarterbacks and like, who would be a better squid games contributor? Maybe not the, those actual games would just like an elimination type, um, content. Well, yeah. Well for the, you know, for the, it's true, you know, and, but we, you know, some of the characters that we'd have who probably wound up doing well, um, you know, at the same time, we probably wouldn't like them as much socially off the field all that much, but, uh, you but that's okay. Brett Favre, I, mean. I did. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Brett Favre would at least probably make it to like the, the, the middle to late rounds at this point, just because no, definitely. He'd, he'd figure out, he'd figure out a way to, um, he'd figure out a way to make things work good or bad. <laughs> Step on somebody else to get a little higher. Yeah, I think that that looks like the Brett Favre thing yeah. at this point. Yeah. Um, okay. Again, before we get canceled, uh, <laughs> I'll give I'll give somebody that I'm I'm considering moving up. 
Um, I thought about mentioning Rashid Shahid, uh, but I, I actually already kind of have him rather high-ish. I mean, he's a wide receiver 59 for me, which I think is probably higher than, than other folks because I think he's a really good player. I'll actually talk about another guy that I'm, I'm probably higher than consensus on, but I feel like I could bump ahead of several of the names I'm looking at right now, and it's Jacoby Myers. Um, I think Jacoby Myers might just be the most underrated receiver in the NFL, Waldman, because he's boring to the to the classic like to the classic fan right he doesn't do anything super exciting um i did say coming into the year that jacoby myers best routes are like the jimmy g routes um the inbreakers um you know the, the the best routes besides the uh the the hospital balls i mean the hospital ball is jimmy g's actual favorite throw but um inbreakers slants <laughs> uh curls digs big crossers and stuff like that. Those are the Jacoby Myers routes. He's such a solid player. Um, obviously, I don't think Jimmy G is the long-term answer for the Raiders, uh, but Jacoby Myers has been a huge win for them as a, as a, as a player. I just like, tell me why this isn't a guy that's going to get 120 targets every year uh, and, and just be a player who is consistent and steady and, and productive. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Um, other than insulting his head coach, maybe somewhere down the line and, and talking about his big ego and getting, you know, how much longer and, and is getting this shut down head coach. <laughs> and that's the point. I don't think it's going to be very long. So, I'm with you. I mean, I underrated Myers a fair bit just because I was still having my last tinges of denial about Hunter Renfro getting mm -hmm. some opportunity in play. And maybe that, you know, last year he was a little banged up and things would, you know, then there'd be a little bit more of a split. And then I had some doubts about Myers being a true flanker, you know, being a slower guy that he was. Yeah. But when you look at how he plays the game, the way he win, he's physical. He knows how to attack. He understands how to, like a former quarterback or ball carrier that he was in high school. He really understands pacing and how to tell a story and be in the right spot and read a defense. So that makes up a lot for the whole. 
I joke that speed is the cleavage of the NFL. Well, you know, the, there's he he doesn't have much cleavage as a as a wide receiver when it comes to how people view stuff. But that's okay, you know. I mean, that's okay. He's a he's a beautiful player, you know, nonetheless. And I think that that's one of the things that um, overall he's reliable and he, he, you know, you think about Juju Smith-Schuster last year, Juju Smith-Schuster in Kansas city last year was a, a fine receiver in what they asked him to do, especially when we look in hindsight at these young receivers in, in that, in that city right. who can't seem to provide the level of, um, reliability to be where he's supposed to be for Patrick Mahomes. Myers is not that at all. Um, he is, he's ultra reliable. So no, I don't have an argument for you. I like that. He's moving up on my boards as well. Hey, just cause you mentioned Hunter Renfro and I will occasionally get this question. Like what happened to Hunter Renfro? What's, what's your best guess besides like Josh McDaniels cronyism? I think that may, the only thing that I would guess is, that they felt like he wasn't going to be a physical enough presence and they and that he leaned too much on the type of routes that people love to watch in practice but don't work in actual games um, other than longer developing plays. I call them the Braxton Miller routes because oh, when, yes. when I used to watch go to the Senior Bowl of every year, Braxton Miller was the type of practice player, former quarterback at Ohio State who played wide receiver. And everyone in the in the media was like, Braxton Miller's dominating the senior bowl practices with these unbelievable moves that he made. Or Andy Isabella, who I used to call Dance Fever because his routes were th- that way. It's like it's like, you know, the type of thing you and I would try to run before we actually started watching NFL film in a pickup game. Um, you know, and it's and the problem is is that once real games happen and you actually have to have timing with your quarterback, these routes don't work. Or you're facing guys who are physical and go, okay, I'll let you dance for four or five steps. Then I'm going to hit you in the chest. And what are you going to do after that? And and that might be a little bit of that with Hunter Renfro. But when I watched him in practices, I didn't think that was as big of a deal. The only thing I could speculate is that maybe he got attached to some of those things um, Mm -hmm. as his career started to take off. And he's just not a versatile receiver from the standpoint of what he can do downfield in terms of top speed. So you, so you're looking at a guy who's small, who maybe you worry about getting beaten up in the middle of the field, whose best routes tend to be the more complicated ones, um, and who isn't exceedingly fast to stretch the field vertically. So you have somebody who's really great at a tight box of things. And you might look as a coach and say, "I that's fine, but I don't need a, I don't need a a, a diamond studded shoehorn. I actually mm-hmm. needed, you know, I actually need a closet, you know, as opposed to just a shoehorn." I think that's pretty similar to my answer that he probably like is a useful player, and and I think some team could and maybe still will find some use for him at some point. But he was probably always a little overrated because of those routes you say people love to see, like they not just in senior bowl practices, but like on social media too. And it's like 
and then he's a, he's a small scrappy white. So people then it's like, Oh, he's one of the best route runners in the NFL. It's like, okay, well you can't tell me there's any universe where he's like Steph Diggs, who, you know, is one of the best route runners. Cause he could do it from all three receiver positions. And, it, but just so I'm not only saying scrappy whites, I think Jerry Judy's like this too. Jerry Judy's another like practice route runner ma- maven. And then he does it one or two times every other game and people like best route runner in the NFL, one of them. And it's just, those guys always get overrated because this stuff is way too, way too complex and it's not efficient. Yeah. You just, you just mentioned one of my guys on who's moving down my rankings, Jerry Judy, um, who I had never compared anything remotely to Antonio Brown at his height, more like an aspirational Reggie Wayne um, was really more the guy that I saw, but I think that's a, a great way to put it. I mean, look at, I put it this way. Um, DeAndre Hopkins is not fast anymore. Wasn't really fast to begin with. Um, he's got decent size, but he knows every the routes that he runs are really very subtle. And there are certain things he does really with body positioning and physicality. And I joke that he's like the ultimate wrestling heel who has the technical skills to beat you without knowing every angle and advantage and cheat code thing that he can do. But if, if a referee says I'm looking the other way, there's not a wide receiver. I would pick if I, if I could have a contest for quote unquote, what defensive back coaches would say cheating um, Mm. is about Um, because he angers more defensive back coaches than I've ever seen on Twitter. Whenever I, I hype him up, they're like, Money. Yeah, and I'm just like that's my guy right there. Like to to me, he's the guy that is going to pull the foreign object out of the belt and like and beat the guy senseless, and the referee doesn't see it. And and so, but he's great in that respect, and and in others. But uh, but yeah, in contrast, nothing he does is like unbelievably fancy. It's it's just basically understanding at the latest moment when to make the move, and it's about efficiency and timing. Yeah, that makes total sense. I would say Jerry Judy's a guy to move down my board, but I already had him pretty low. I just not was not a fan of the player coming in. Um, give me someone else uh, before we get negative here. Uh, <laughs> officially, give me one more guy you're thinking about moving up. Yeah, certainly. Um, Zay Flowers. I mean, I already had him high. It was yeah. my number two receiver on my board um, pre-draft in the RSP. But after you know, the thing that I wanted to see was is was the contested catch ability near the boundary or something that the Ravens were going to look at and say, yeah, we think that's going to work also in the NFL. We're going to put them outside on occasion or have them run perimeter routes on occasion and feel like that he can go up and win the ball. Um, because, you know, he, Ty J Spears and, and Tank Dell were the three best open field runners, in my opinion, from the, the guys that I studied with the ball in their hand. Um, and, you know, you knew that was there. But to see that Flowers is being used in the capacity that he is, um, I, I feel like that there's still even more that's going to be there for him in the contested catch realm. Like I, I didn't want to compare him to Steve Smith cause you really shouldn't compare anybody to Steve Smith. But if there's a player who at least gets to be put in the same County or zip code of Steve Smith, um, he may be in the poor side of that zip code, but he, you can see the elements to his game where uh, Lamar Jackson will start going to him on maybe some vertical routes where he can go up and get it. 
and I think that he'll win enough of them to become their primary guy. Yeah, I mean, he's starting to do it so far right now. Um, I love what I see out of Zay Flowers. I think he is, you know, obviously Puka Nakua, what he's doing is in, in, is incredible. But I'm, from like the round one early wide receivers, I think he's been clear cut the most impressive guy, Zay Flowers. Um he looks like a dude. I mean, he, he really is high up on the he moves different scale is Zay Flowers in the open field. But I've been impressed with the route running. And I think the more we've gotten away from week one, the, the less he's been really used in like kind of the designery Kadarius Tony gadgety type ways, like yeah. Nicole Hardman uh, souped up type of thing. He's still getting some of those looks, but like. Honestly, I'd, I'd love to see more in like the intermediate area because we're getting those like underneath stuff. We're getting some deep shot plays with him and he works the sideline extremely well. I think even that week one game against the Houston Texans, like you saw him run some real big boy NFL routes in that game. And you've consistently seen that. He just hasn't always gotten the ball for one reason or another. Again, I'd love to see more usage in that intermediate area. So I'm with you. Zay Flowers is a guy that I think has shown enough to be ticked up from the like, all right, strong dynasty building block to like a potential guy that you're counting on every single week, right? Yeah, he he was 40th on my board for receivers to begin September, and that was a conservative estimate, and I'm sure he's going to be in my top 35 easily now. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Um, In that regard, um what goes up must come down. Uh, one guy that I've been considering pushing down is Rashad Bateman. Um, I'm yeah. yeah and, and I know you were a big fan of Bateman. Like I was as a prospect, I think he's shown not this year, but like in his rookie season and then his second season before he got injured or after he was injured from a rookie perspective, I think he showed legitimately really good stuff. And there's times this year where like, okay, the technique and the route running is there. The juice just doesn't appear to be there. And he's just, he's made some big mistakes too in big moments. So um, I don't know, man, I I think it's, it's sad, but he's a guy that when I do my update, I'm, I'm almost certainly going to have to drop way, way down. Cause after the first few weeks in, in 2022, I was pretty aggressive and like moved him up high because I loved what I was seeing. Yeah, I had him high last year as well, but you know, coming in in September, I had him 53rd on my list um, because seeing who they added, I mean, I know that Odell Beckham is old and his knees are you know questionable at best, um, but the fact he, that they he, were Bateman doing- and Beckham probably make up like one healthy person's lower body, maybe, maybe, yes. maybe like seventy five percent of a healthy person's lower body. Right, exactly. Like they're they're basically rated the Frankenstein graveyard, you know, whatever, oh God, you know. Then yeah. that's what's going on with them right now. Um, but yeah, he's probably moving down even further as a result of that, and it is it's a shame because he was a fantastic player, and he's gone through a lot in his career because when he had COVID prior to his um, the, during that draft year, he lost so much weight yeah. that he was playing at like a super lightweight just so that he could kind of keep some semblance of a of a draft um draftable grade i think and that's probably what hurt him and so when you've you've gone through the gamut like he has i think it's been a real test for him so yeah there's been some like personal stuff this past like even just recently too that he's gone through as well um i can't find the exact thing that i I saw but i know he like 
lost his grandmother. There was like personal stuff uh, yeah. over over the course of the last few weeks. So, um, or the, just the last few months or whatever. And in addition to coming back from a serious major injury, so he's just a guy that like it's probably never going to happen for, which is a shame. Um, but you know, I do think that the process of being high on him was probably correct. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, for for me. For me, I mean, I guess if I'm, I'm, I just move on to some other guys. I'll, I'll say this and tell me who, whoever you want to talk about from this, this group. But if I'm moving players down, it will be every Chiefs receiver not named Rishi Rice and Justin Ross, only because Justin Ross and Rishi Rice weren't really high on my board anyway. But Sky Moore. Um, Marquez Valdez Scantling, um, you, you know, I obviously Kadarius Tony, who I was super hopeful for. And I, I laugh because pre draft, I'm like, the guy's in walking injury, and yeah. the way he moves leads to more injury because everything's sudden and unplanned and way outside his frame, and he slips a lot. And you know, and then I, I got enamored with what he did against Dallas as a giant. And yeah. saw some of that game and was like, oh, you know, there's glimpses there of, of more. And I liked him at at um, Florida, but I was those were the concerns, and I still kind of levied those concerns. But I was really trying to go all in. Like, if there's a guy I'm going to take a chance on this year, and I'm only going to take a chance on one guy and be conservative elsewhere, this is the guy I'm going to do that with. Well, that doesn't work. And when you look at the the Chiefs. I started looking back because I started thinking about, well, who were like good Chiefs fantasy receivers under Andy Reid? So like 1999 to 2012, if I counted James Thrash, who was there in Andy Reid's first year and had 833 yards, and when I count receivers who had at least 800 yards under Andy Reid, well, Thrash probably shouldn't count because he was a holdover. So you've got three receivers between 1999 and 2012 that Andy Reid's regime drafted who had at least 800 yards during their careers. That was Reggie Brown one season, Jeremy Macklin for three seasons, Deshaun um, Jackson for, let's see, four seasons. Um, that That's great. And then they had to add free agents, Terrell Owens, that one great season before he combusted, and Kevin Curtis, the former Ram. Um, that's it. That's it. 13 years. And like, you know, so, I mean, that's enough to fund that offense. But when you think about Patrick Mahomes being this great player and you, and everyone has these fever dreams of him supporting multiple talents like Peyton Manning once did, um, it just doesn't, hasn't happened. They've had even more receivers since Andy Reid's been in Kansas city. I mean, the, the, the list can go like hat almost three quarters of a page down and the the guys who who basically gave you some some of those opportunities were you know Tyree Kill, Juju Smith Schuster and that's really it, that's it other than Travis Kelsey. So I look at Andy Reid's offense and I think well it's an old school West Coast offense with some spread concepts that have been infused into it. It's a hard offense to learn. And I, I like Sky Moore as a prospect. I like Justin Ross. I like all those guys to some extent other than Marcus Valdez-Scantling, who I did like, but I've seen enough of him to feel yeah. like we know who he is. So, 
at this stage, everyone's moving down a tier from at least a tier other than Ross and Rice because they just haven't had enough looks and they were never slated as starters anyhow. Yeah, I had Rasheed Rice as a guy that I'm thinking about moving up because, number one, I was pretty low on him coming out of the draft um, because the film that I got for reception perception was probably pretty injury tainted. And I wrote about that in his profile that he was dealing with an injury last year uh, at SMU. And like that, that was, could be a part of why he didn't look great from a separation standpoint. That being said, he still has, he still, you could see him now. He's still got a lot of work to do. Like, I know that we're all excited about what we've seen from Rasheed Rice, but like, I want you, not you Waldman, but, you people out there, I really want you to go watch the Rasheed Rice plays. Like, I want you to see what's really like. It's a lot of the same play over and over again. It's just like slant route over the middle, slant route over the middle. And to his credit, he's doing a lot with those plays. Um, before I jump like over my skis for him from a dynasty perspective, I need to see him like. And I think he could catch the ball and yeah, and. <laughs> <laughs> Great! I would love to. I'd also love to see them like thrust him on the outside and like run a deep over. And by the way, again, I think he can do that stuff maybe, but we need to see, we need to see that before I I'm going to bump him up almost certainly in my next rankings update because I, I had him pretty low. I think I need to kind of review in some ways there that he's going to probably be a functional player for them, but and he's really the only one showing any promise at, at this point, right? Um, but I still think there are some outstanding questions with Rasheed Rice. Sky Moorman, yeah, he's somebody I've got to bump down. And I, I didn't have him super high. He was not inside my top 50 receivers in Dynasty. But I actually kind of think in a weird way, their usage of both of these guys has been weird. Like, what are they doing, bro, putting Sky Moore on the outside? Like, that's ne- that was never going to work. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's funny how that is. And Rice was just inside my top 100. He he may be inside my top 60, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know if it's going to go that high. In terms of more, I liked that more could win fade routes at in the MAC. Like watching some of the things that he did, I actually thought that there were some outside receiver skills that would be nice in terms of what he did at the catch point. But the yeah. route running. You, you, no, you haven't no. seen that really yet. And I I was never like I was never overly enamored with Moore as a prospect. Um I thought he was good, a good prospect, but I wasn't over the moon about him. So yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you with what they're trying to do. I just I just feel like again, this is a function of that Andy Reid offense of like we want probably we want you to learn multiple positions. And I heard you talk about this, that that was a positive for him, that they had him do that early on. And I think that there is, I think your analysis of why that was a positive was a good one because they saw the promise in him. The, the If I were to come up with a negative for that, it would be get him to do one thing well yeah, we to don't start off to with. Him. Yeah, we don't know what to do with him. He's the... You know, it's kind of like the whole James Casey syndrome. If you remember James Casey, folks, back there, the the Rice tight end, fullback, oh, yeah. wide receiver who nobody could find a role for, who wound up in Houston and Denver, and great athlete, but just not big enough, fast enough, small enough, depending on wherever you put him, he never fit. And I think that more you worry that that's the kind of case with him. You kind of worry that's the case with Elijah Moore, that they just yeah. turn into gadget players, and that 
And it's not that they are only good to be gadget players. It's just that the way that they're approached by coaches who don't have a lot of time and just see that they have this endless funnel of good prospects coming in feel like, well, if he doesn't stand out now, we'll just find somebody else if they don't, if they don't figure out a way to do it. And that just puts it on more. Who's just good enough that he probably thinks that he's on the verge, but not quite good enough to where he's got to do some work, but in which direction? And there's a lot of directions. And that's the, that black box we come back to of like, how do you apply yourself? What is the thing that you focus on next? And and who do I trust to tell me you need to do this to get better? This is going to get you on the field. This is going to make you stand out. And it might be counterintuitive to what your coaches are telling you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I almost kind of, and look, far be it from me to sit here and question Andy Reid on offense, right? Like, <laughs> right. But I, I almost kind of wish they'd cut. And look, Justin Watson's banged out up now, so he's going to miss some time. That's one guy off the board here. But I almost kind of wish they'd cut it out with like rotating these guys so much and just like, all right, you know, um, ju- you know, if you're a Justin Ross fan, like maybe he's he's the X and him and MVS. Like I just think none of these guys are good enough though, to, to be out there for like 90% of the snaps, but I'd love it too, though. If it's like, all right, Rasheed Rice, you are our flanker. We're going to move you around a little bit. We're going to do that stuff. Uh, Sky Moore, you're our pure slot. And like maybe Justin Ross and MVS are rotating at that X receiver spot. I almost kind of think that'd be good for the role, the growing confidence of these guys. But again, far be it for me to, to question uh, Andy Reed and, and that whole thing. Uh, any other guys you want to, mention up or down uh i have one more guy moving down that i think we were both not high on uh but give I don't it hear you. yeah Traylon burks i mean i don't have Traylon. Burks. I, I have he was mine <laughs> <laughs> i i don't and i don't want to sit here and just like victory lap or on Traylon burks or anything like that yeah. that's not you and i are neither we're neither one of us are that that type of guy here but i didn't have burks high to begin with this year but um I, and, you know and he's been injured so let's be clear about that but you know, the Tennessee offense now, Ryan Tannehill's banged up. We're probably going to get like maybe some Malik Willis, maybe some Will Levis. And, you know, I just don't think we've seen really anything from Traylon Burks to think he's like on the cusp of like being a consistent NFL starter. So I think probably if I'm projecting forward, it's going to be a weird year for the rest of the Tennessee Titans offense the rest of the season. I think, you know, we'll see. Maybe Traylon Burks comes out in December and he's running big boy X receiver routes. I kind of doubt that's the case based on what we've seen so far. And then I think we're in the wilderness. Yeah, I was I was not a huge Burks fan coming out because 
his zone route running was didn't show a lot of awareness. Um, his ability to get off press had some issues. The physical skills were there Big for issues. sure. Big, yes. And his attack of the football was up and down as well. So he kind of was he kind of was like Cortland Sutton coming out in some regards in that in that way. And I, you know, the type of player that I would, I think I had Cortland Sutton ranked twentieth that year, and said, "Look, I realize he could be the top th- a top three receiver, but until he shows these things, I'm not putting him there because it's too much of a projection." And I think that Burks had a lot of that going on with his game, and I did have him just outside my top thirty six this year, which was really high, and it was, but it was based on something that. You know, I've been you know, I've been doing this a little while too, and and I and I think that sometimes even so, it's easy to fall for certain narratives, even in training camp. And if they're most, I tend to rail against. But if I hear there's certain little things that I that I hear, and I'm like, okay, you realize last year you got in Mike Vrabel's doghouse, and Vrabel's not the guy you want to get in the doghouse with at, at all. So this year you realize you're not going to make it with a, a commercial flight. So you charter a flight to get to camp on time. I was like, okay, that's a, that's a good move. Like that's, yeah, that's not yeah. someone who's learned. I like this. And then, you know, you saw some positives out of his camp and, and I thought, okay, with DeAndre Hopkins on the opposite side, now they've got a legitimate receiver that can take some pressure off of him. So I'm open to the idea of him becoming a starter. But I just don't, I don't know. I don't see that enough balls to move around with what they like to do because yeah. they're they're being really multiple with their running backs because Ty J Spears too good to not have on the field. Um, and you know, this is a this is a this is a wide receiver show, so I'm going to keep it at that. But I'll say that uh, uh, other than I'll say that. Um, that you know, if that's Charlie, I don't know if that's Charlie or your that other one. That is definitely Charlie. You would, yeah. you would know if you're sure. Peach. Yeah. <laughs> See, I think I think Charlie. I think Charlie understands that Ty J Spears actually got used like a wide receiver at Tulane at times in some key <laughs> moments, and he's just he's just you know showing his vocal support that Ty J Spears gets an honorary wide receiver club membership as a rookie, um, and that's why they're probably using him right now because he's a better all around player. But the problem is, is not enough balls to go around for yeah. for wide receivers in this group. I think that is definitely uh, the case. Yeah, I think Charlie, smaller, explosive guy, just like Tajay Spears. I think they're in the they're in the same category. Uh, but yeah. two, one's a rookie, and one is uh, more on the Derrick Henry side of his career. And I am talking about Chuck in that one. Um, all right, last thing for you, Waldman. I didn't, I didn't prep you on this question, but it's something that's been drilling in my brain here this year. I said it on my Yahoo recap show Sunday night. This year has been a really, really bad year for insert this team's number two receiver is going to outproduce the alpha wide receiver one or close the gap between the alpha wide receiver one type of predictions on on um, on the team, right? Like I'm thinking about, you know, I think Devonta Smith's a really good player, but like, you know, AJ Brown has been on a tear so far this year. Um, Jalen Waddle, really good player. Tyree kill is lapping the field for and not just Jalen Waddle, but like literally the field of the NFL. Um, I really like Jahan Dotson. And I think I'm not going to bump Jahan Dotson down on my dynasty rankings for what he's doing right now. I think he'll be fine when the offense sort of crystallizes, but there were people ready to, 
say, oh, yeah, he'll be better than Terry McLaurin this year. And I was like, yo, it's really hard to be better than Terry McLaurin because Terry McLaurin's really freaking good. T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. Um, you know, the list goes on and on and on, honestly. From a process standpoint, what do we do with that information? Because if you just look at dynasty rankings, like guys like T. Higgins and Jalen Waddle and, and certainly Devonte Smith will be up there really high. Um, but for these guys that are probably, if they stick with their team stuck as the number, like number two receiver, how do we approach those guys from like a long-term rankings perspective? And, and do we sort of jump the shark with, Oh, this guy's a one, one B receiver, not really a two. That's kind of how I've approached it all along, to be honest, is that I think of who's, if you, there are certain players that you can you can get that top 15 production top. It's going to be top 15 to top 20 production. I'll because you have the strong quarterback mm-hmm. and you have the, the primary wide receiver who can win against anybody on any route. And if you have that combination, then yeah, I'm okay with T Higgins being higher up on the board or Jalen Waddle being high up on the board. The difference with Waddle, I would say right now, is that this offense has just like gotten a new toy with their running game and how they've expanded it. So it's kind of like Waddle's been left at the side uh, on a certain level, but he's also a guy that could deliver that one production if need be, not as high as, you know, Hill or or Jamar, um, Jamar Chase. But, you know, I've always looked at these guys as this, is that the the top guy, A.J. Brown is a bully. He's the, he's the classic, like, out of Hollywood casting bully in your school. And D- Devonta Smith is that little kid who's always next to him with the loud mouth who, like, gets his licks in. You know, it doesn't mean that he can't fight. It doesn't mean that he's not skilled. Um but he's more imposing when he's got that bully that he's standing in front of, you know? And I, and because when I looked at Devonta Smith, you watched him at, at Alabama, you watched him early on in his career, great route runner in terms of like the, the technical skills, good hands, great, good after the catch, but a physical football player on the opposite side of him just pins him to the boundary. Like it's like, yeah, just get over there, you know, and, and AJ Brown, you can't do that with Jay, right. you know, Jalen, um, at, you know, Addison, Jordan Addison, similar type of thing, maybe yeah. a little more physical than Devonta, I would argue, but mm-hmm. same thing with, you know, Justin Jefferson. So I'm okay with that. As long as you believe the quarterback has a history or skill to support multiple players. We know now that Patrick Mahomes maybe has that skill, but has the offense that doesn't ask him to do that because there's lots of um, there's lots of alignment shifts and trickery. I mean, when you're using per- thirteen personnel a lot uh, or enough to you know where you know it's all just to get Travis Kelsey the ball, and then you have like this, um, you know you have this ability to work on off structure plays with that him and, you know, Mahomes and Kelsey have, that's fine. But Burrow can support multiple guys. You know, I think Matthew Stafford has that ability to, to some extent. 
Um, certainly Kirk Cousins can. Um, mm. I, I think that there's there's guys, if they read progressions there and they can do a little bit off structure and they have the offense that that doesn't have so many personnel alterations that the guys, the support staff is, well, I'm on the field, you know, 20% less than everybody else because we're putting three tight ends in here in all these situations. That's probably part of it. So yeah, I'm game with, I'm game with the one, one a type of stuff. Christian Kirk all along. I feel like Christian Kirk was going to have near equal stats to, to Ridley, not because he's as good as Ridley, just because he's he's good enough, he holds and a critical role too. Gonna, like, yes, when teams try to take away Ridley, and you know, I think Jacksonville has been fine to be like, okay, like we well, have a really, really I, the NFL world has disrespected Christian Kirk for two years now. Like, yeah, they did it when he signed a free agency contract, and and I was like, yo, this is a good player. Like, I get the money is well, number one, it's yeah. not your money, so. Who cares? Shad Khan's money and Shad Khan's, Shad Khan's got money. You don't need to worry about that. Uh, it, like they disrespected him then. I think disrespected again this year. Like you brought up Christian Kirk earlier. Like, oh, he's not playing in two receiver sets in the preseason. Like, come on, th- give me a break. Like this guy is a really, really good player and he's had more targets so far than Ridley. I don't know that it's going to be that way by the end of the season, but I think he holds a critical role in this offense. Yeah, I mean, there were people after week one saying, "Well, Zay Jones out, out, out snapped him, and oh, and wow. and all this, and that's and it's the end for Kirk." And I'm like, last year Zay Jones had like I think seven games where he out snapped Christian Kirk, but Christian Kirk still had more catches, more yards, you know, overall. And I'm like, it's week one. Let's 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 think about this a little bit let's give it a little time to breathe and see what goes on. So yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. I think for me, the, just the thing I'm taking away from this whole like number two receiver, one B receiver thing is I think that those guys are just so much more at risk when the offense like falls a little bit back for whatever reason. Um, I don't know what your read is on the Eagles right now, like what's going on there, but I think we can, agree that Jalen Hurts is not playing his best football so far. They're working in a new offense and it's just been a tick off. You know, Devonta Smith has been the one to take the step back there when it's like, okay, well, we're trying to problem solve things in real time. You know, who's going to help us do that? Throwing the ball to AJ Brown a ton because the guy's just a stud, you know, with the Bengals, right? Like T Higgins is this vertical receiver who I think is a solid, but not special separator. Like, we're not going to throw those contested balls to T Higgins uh, on the outside. We're going to design ways to get Jamar chase, who is a great route runner. We're going to get the ball to him. Okay. And like Miami's not going like troubleshooting in real time, but they are breaking in like, Oh, we have this kick your ass run game now. In addition to what we're doing in the past game, like let's really work on this and, and perfect this. Well, we're not going to go away from Tyree Kill, so Jalen Waddle's going to take the back seat there. So maybe I'm overreacting a little bit to and w- Washington. I mean, geez, good, good lord! Like, there's a lot of weirdness going on yeah. there. <laughs> um, your quarterback's not on pace to take like 100 sacks without some weirdness in your offense. I'll just say that. Uh, and so maybe I'm overreacting to some like specific circumstances here, like the Burrow injury, uh, the the Eagles kind of playing a little and eh, so far this season. I just think from like. A dynasty perspective, I'm not saying that these guys are bad bets or that like we need to move these guys down our rankings, but like I will say that as long as these guys are pigeonholed in that second receiver position, 
one, there is a little bit more inherent risk to offensive or environment chaos. And two, like the second that you see a Chris Olave or a Garrett Wilson emerge, and I know those guys aren't having perfect seasons for a variety of reasons, but like their ceiling is just so much higher because they can, and Drake London too, who, who you mentioned, like their ceiling is higher because they can become that alpha dog. And I think the path is just clearer for those guys. Whereas like the other players are going to need breaks to have that happen, I guess is where yeah. I stand on it. And this is what I end up doing probably that um, because I don't want to rate guys too much lower just based on the fact that they're the one A or the two. But what I will do is I I have I call them matchup players and scheme based players. And some guys are matchup players in the sense like to me, the top 12 guys to me are like Amari Cooper all the way to Justin Jefferson are matchup players. They're going to face. The whoever your top corner is in the league right now on third and 12 and the corner's going to know the route that's coming and that it's coming to that guy and he's playing press man and he's still probably going to lose that route to Stefan Diggs, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, yeah. Tyreek Hill, who Devontae Adams, you know, all those guys, Chris Olave, you know, give him a fighting shot. Amari Cooper. Those are matchup guys. Gabriel Davis is the quintessential scheme player. He's the guy that the defense that the offense says we're going to run misdirection. We're going to sneak him out of like the backfield or drag him out, and he's going to get lost behind the defense. And he's the only guy we're planning to throw this ball to because all our resources are put to tricking you so he gets open, or he's like the third read on a long developing route. Hopefully, he ran behind somebody. But they're not putting him in that third and 12 situation um, knowing that. Whereas, you know, and I look at T. Higgins as good as he is. Um, do you really think that Grant Delpit would be able to cover Jamar Chase on a on a slot on a slot fade or a or a or a sale route? Um, you, you know, they better hope he drops it. That's that's, yeah. their, that's their hope. They better hope he drops it. Yeah. Uh, but he did well again. He did well enough against T Higgins that that's the yeah. difference to me. I love Grant Delpit. He's one of my favorite players, but I know that he's not a cornerback, you know, and if a safety can cover, if a safety can cover your guy, man to man in the slot, um, a good safety, maybe that's the limit. That's one example of a limit to say the the ceiling's capped here. You know, and that may mean he's capped at your top 15 or just outside your top 12. And yeah. yes, maybe he has years that he's eighth, but I, I would, I know you're the same way. And I, you know, and it's just common in our industry and it's okay. It's just, we've all been through it and we've all been through that stage, but I do privately chuckle when I hear people going T when I start hearing, well, T Higgins is better than Jamar chase. And I'm like, um, Jamar chase, um, with his legs cut off. Yes. Okay, fine. You know, but no, not in this universe, not in this universe, not in this universe that we live in. Um, no, that, that is actually, I think again, it's, it's sort of turning into a theme of the season for me. So I wanted to heat check that, um, idea with you. And I think, uh, that was a good conversation. Well, Waldman, this entire episode has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you. One filling in for James here, Two, helping me with my homework since it's about time that I do update these dynasty rankings and you've given me some some things to think about. So I'll be a little notes here on that one. Uh, appreciate you doing all this, man. Uh, great conversation. Tell the people out there where they can find uh, your work. 
Sure. You can find my YouTube channel, Matt Waldman's RSP Film Room, that's over a decade old, um, breaking down NFL and college prospects. Um, Matt Waldman's RSP Film Room. Find me on X, Twitter, Pluto, whatever you want to call that thing, at Matt Waldman. <laughs> and then, of course, um, MattWaldmanRSP.com, where you can get the rookie scouting portfolio or my dynasty rankings and projection service. Um, and of course I'm at footballguys.com been there since 2009, writing my gut check column. That's nearly probably nearing 700, uh, or like, no, I don't know how many, I know I've had over 600 of these things I've been writing. I, I'm getting so old. I don't, you can't even get, can't keep count, but I do a lot of work at footballguys.com. You can check it out there. Great fantasy site. Hell yeah. Um, I'm off the football guys coaching tree as well. So I always endorse anything football guys. So, uh, appreciate you Waldman. Thanks done everybody. Make sure to check out his work. Uh, that's it for this episode. Appreciate you all. Uh, we'll be back later this week with another great episode. So, uh, tune in there. Talk soon.